Welcome to our eighth and final episode of our special mini-series with the Nessa Group. We'll start. Hi, Jim Huerta. How are you? I'm doing well. I'm, I'm happy that we've accomplished the eight episodes, and I hope that they draw a lot of attention. Thank you, sir. And Barry Colovson, the other principal of the Nessa Group. How are you doing? I'm doing fine. Getting educated, learning more than we know now. All right. Will Jakes, our patent professor. Yes, uh, always a pleasure to be here. <laughs> Justin Tripodi, our branding buddy. Pleasure to be here, Anthony. I, I, sorry, I couldn't do better than, than that on the alliteration. <laughs> Scott Mountner, corporate attorney. How you doing, Scott? I'm doing well, thank you. And which firm are you with for attorney ethics? Harrington, Akko, and Monk. <laughs> and I'm managing partner of Verna Law also. Uh, so on this particular case study... Uh, is a former client of the Nessa Group uh, and one that, that most of us here uh, have experience with. So let's talk a little bit about the uh, software that this particular client had made, and it did really work very well. It, it made that client, uh, 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 that company, I should say, a leader in uh, online shopping experiences. Jim, why don't, why don't you take it from there? Just give it a backdrop. Sure, sure. thank you. Um, the company had been, a while, been around for a while. They, they actually had established a, quite a bit of patents. I, I, I'm going to say it's somewhere in the 30s. I'm not totally positive right now how many patents they had. Um, but it was, I think, ahead of its time. It was a way that shoppers online can not lose track of what they had been looking at or what they had been shopping for. You were able to have like a cookie sitting inside the shopping uh, um process where it would take you right back to where you left off or what you were interested in, depending on the store, whether it be a jewelry store or a clothing store. Uh, so the, the, the utilization and the possible additional utilizations were non-ending. I mean, you can keep on thinking about how many things you can do with this. So, so Jim, a user would, would, would be able to leave the website store and come back to it with the cart exactly as it was. That is correct. And then would the user also see remnants of this cart, for lack of a better word, around the web? So if I closed this cart uh, in this store and I went like onto Facebook and I went to Twitter, would I see... Would I see, you know, other ads targeted to, to me to go back? I think it would be more specifically driven to the establishments that were using the app. Okay. So uh, there were also uh, special ways that, um, if I recall correctly, that uh, a, an ad could be shown to a user as well. Correct. I, I mean, so, so there was a lot unique with this particular oh, company. Oh, absolutely. And a lot of the the shopping, a lot of the the online shopping experience was unique for this for this particular company as well. What what did you think some of the benefits were to the user? Well, I, I just thought the whole concept of the way it would track your history and browsing and your shopping experience was very unique. I mean, I'm not that uh, until I saw this product, I wasn't someone who shops online. But this really created a, a point of interest for me, the, the things that it could do and the areas that it could tackle. It didn't have to stay solely based on shopping. It had the ability to expand into other locations and other type markets because of the whole idea of the memory and the way you were setting up, um, the way you were surfing in the internet or a client or whatever. Justin, what did you see with this product? Uh, it's been some time since I looked at this yeah. client, so I could be wrong, but I believe one of the... Um, interesting products or features they offered was expandable ad units that were dynamic. 
meaning that within the ads they would sell, for example, if they were selling an ad to Home Depot, um, when a user is on any website and they see that Home Depot ad, they would actually they would be able to shop within that ad. They would be able to, be able to look at the menu bar, navigate departments, and add something to their cart without without navigating from the page they're on. And that is and correct, yes. That's, that's um, a value add for a business because you're taking a hurdle out, and that hurdle is for them to click on that ad and go to a new website and search from there. You're collapsing time and steps for a user, which is always important to condense the customer journey that ends in a sale. Mm -hmm. Jim, with that technology, were there results, measurable results that this company had for a user's shopping experience? Oh, yeah. They, they had, uh, if you're talking about successes and, yes. and getting positive reviews, they were getting a lot of that. Without me being able to mention, some of the, their clients were, were very large retail establishments in their, in their, in their sections. And you know uh, whether it be hardware or, or do we just sell for it? Whether it be jewelry, they were not um, unidentifiable companies. They were companies that had a good reputation and sizable. Cor correct me if I'm wrong, and will feel free to jump in if you recall. I, I remember th there th that this company had a claim that um, they would be able to double, triple the click-through rates, and therefore double and triple the sales that were made because of the technology. Uh, did you well? Did you find well, those numbers to be? To they be... were. They were. In fact, um, I did some research because I had to because of the sure. fact that I was pitching it and looking at it. Mm -hmm. um, uh, several of the comments that were made, and some of the numbers that were given, I checked, and they did prove to be correct because I had letters from the establishments that their growth patterns were, in fact, what you're saying, that they would double or triple their sales. I'm sorry about that, uh, Anthony. I kind of goofed there on you, Jim, just a little <laughs> bit. But no, you're right. Uh, the claims showed enablement of that particular feature. I, I wasn't aware of what the numbers uh, were okay. exactly, but the claim did speak to the fact that it would be able to uh, add a multiple to, to that experience. So I, I, I'm scratching my head here a little bit. Here's a company that has... <laughs> Multiple patents, what, 30 patents? Something. It was, they were really yeah. up there. I don't I, remember I mean, exactly. I mean, number. Will's telling me that the claims check out. You're telling me that the promises check out. Justin, you, you know, recalls the, the, the time saver for, for the user, the, the steps, the easier shopping. I look at all of this and I put it together. <clears throat> all right, why are they coming here? And, okay, what's wrong? Because I'm figuring something's wrong if we're talking about this here. So, so your point well taken. And this, if you look at the principles of a business and the ability to have an ongoing concern, these guys had it. They had a, the right app. They had uh, the right clientele. They were doing the right thing. This is all based problematically what I call management fiat, bad management, uh, misdirected board. And that's where things started to really unfold for these guys. And, and if I might give you a little background, then you guys can. It's funny that we mentioned the, fit, the earlier episode, we talked about 15 years, which is what we were talking about earlier. This is also was a 15-year tragedy, if you will. So that, uh, that maybe it's something to do with 15 years. I don't know. <laughs> but, but what happened was that, and I'm picturing this, because of the fact that it was so dynamic and so ahead of its time, that when these guys were sitting down, they were already, instead of focusing with making the big money, they were already out here somewhere. So the guy who invented it wasn't there with them. 
he was somewhere else, probably back in here protecting his child or whatever. Where it happens that that created a, a conflict of interest between the board and the guy who was the inventor and was that CEO, which led to why we're having this discussion. That created a situation where the board asked for the resignation of the inventor and the current CEO and brought someone else who was letting them know, you guys have the holy grail. I can get you into any market in this country, in this world, and make money from it just on what you have developed. And I think that's which uh, the start of this whole, that's when they finally came to us. Uh, and I might add that the CEO who was displaced actually came back because the CEO that was selected went rogue on the board, and he was let go also. So, I think we talked about this in two episodes ago on how to protect yourself and how to yeah. invite people into your company and incentivize them and entice them to good, but also protect the interest of the company and the shares of equity that could be offered. Exactly, yes. So, so what were some of the other examples of poor management through this company that you saw? Uh, you know, I, 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 when I first saw it, I, I couldn't help but think about Apple at the beginning with Steve Jobs. As you recall, Steve Jobs was this creative—it was this creative guy who was making all the equipment that we use very intuitive, and and that's what this thing was doing. And all of a sudden, people start talking about well, we can do much better. And you know what happened there? Out goes Jobs. He goes creates another magnificent uh, kind of participation in a big company, and then he comes back and does the same thing. Well, in this case, it couldn't be done that way because of the fact that. There had been a lot of damage done with this whole exercise with management and the board and so forth. That when this guy came back, he didn't have the ability to talk up like Jobs talked about apples and the money and the success. This guy was sitting with money had gone and no progress, uh, no the inability to manage the company. So there were so many things that were left behind because of this transaction that it took away from the ability to even go to the next level of investors and say, hey, I have this company for you. Every time we took it to somebody, they loved it. There was no, there was no hey, that's, that's stupid. I don't want to look at that. They all loved it, and then they did their due diligence, and the history just destroyed so, these guys. So what else in the history was, was, was an issue? Was there a, a revenue problem, a burn rate problem? I mean, it was strictly a problem based on management fiat, as I call it. I don't think that they would have had the problems they had if they wouldn't have gotten to the point where the firings and the hiring and getting ahead of themselves, it just was not a good idea. But but this company could not have been flush with cash, right? They Well, the, the other thing is, not to give too much away, but the other thing is that they had actually raised $15 million, which they blew through. In, in what? The new CEO who had this vision of how to turn the company into a different direction. He spent an enormous amount of money in bringing in consultants and bringing in all kinds of research material on where they could take the software and support it by all these patents. Scott, can I can I bring you in here on a second? If if a company is spending fifteen million dollars on consultants on marketing, I, I mean that sounds like 
way too much for a small company. I mean, I don't want to I don't want to use any loaded words from a legal standpoint for you and me, <laughs> but I right. mean that doesn't sound like behavior I'd want from one person at a at a small company. Well, it's yes, but it sounds like there was a bigger problem with just corporate governance in general. So usually when you go through raising money, what Justin was just alluding to is the investors will get board seats, existing management or or the founders will keep board seats. And typically the founder slash CEO in this case would have some sort of employment agreement. Obviously, you can always be fired. Um, they buy them out. But if you have an employment agreement, it'll sort of limit the ability of the board to do things sort of willy-nilly. Um, they then, it sounds like, brought in a new CEO who ran through $15 million. And so the first thing I would want to know as a board member, having fiduciary duties to shareholders and potentially other people, is where did the $15 million go? Um, an easy way to do that is bring in forensic accountants and look at it. You don't want to spend a ton of money doing that, but you'd want to know if there was mismanagement or you know, something a little worse, let's call it misfeasance in this instance, but you, you do want to try to figure out because as a board member, you do owe duties to these people who gave the money to the company to grow them a company. And if things were not what we would call kosher, you need to deal with that as well. What, what, are, some of, um, what are some of the telltale signs that somebody in, in this role is acting properly versus not acting properly? Well, certainly, you know, on bigger projects and certainly on um, spending money, whether there's appropriate board consent for things that are out of sort of the ordinary course of business, whether the budgets are being followed, whether in, in a lot of instances where there's been sort of management misfeasance, you see a lot of expenses being run through the business. T&E that's sort of in weird places and being spent in, in sort of odd things. Um, you may even want to know whether if you're hired an outside consultant to do a lot of work and there's a lot of money going to one consultant, who is the ownership and management of that consultant? Because, you know, there could be really sort of heinous things going on, including kickbacks and things like that. I'm not saying that happened here. I don't know. But you know, as a corporate governance point of view, you need to sort of think about those things. And they happen, they happen more often than you would otherwise think. Jim, uh, did, did this company have a problem obtaining customers, in other words, obtaining companies to use their, their platform on their own websites because of their reputation. No, I I I think they would they would do okay with their marketing and their sales pitch to the people, the retailers who were using them. Their biggest problem is that even to create a marketing campaign or to get into these new clients, you needed you know a sales force, you needed a marketing team, and these guys because of the fact that they had had the occurrence of the money that Scott was were talking about just now. They were carrying a load of history that created a problem for the Nestle Group. The Nestle Group was put in a position to get capital for them so they can take it out again. And unfortunately, every time we brought this conversation up with an investor, it didn't take long for the investor to do their due diligence and even right. hear this guy. This guy would talk about the, 
the history. And sure. as he's talking about it, these guys are rolling their eyes and saying, you, you blew through $50 million? Right. And what are you doing here? What do you, what do you want me to do for you? you know? So it, it was sure. complicated. And, you know, uh, I can give you a little bit further if you want, and then we can get into the conversation. I mean, the, we felt at the time, I think all of us felt the same way, uh, the CEO had to disappear, the company name had to change, and it had to be assigned the patents to a brand new company and just kill the history. Uh, somehow work it out that, that that company no longer was managed by that group. Uh, there was none of that excess baggage being carried. But again, when you talk to an inventor, you talk to certain people about their company, that's like them giving up their firstborn, okay? Sure. So that became a problem. But w we thought, and I think you guys can speak up collectively, that he needed to go. He needed to, to move the company to a different name and do things differently than they were doing. But I think that would have created the ability to raise money for them. I, I, I mean, one problem, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll tell a story. I mean, one problem I had was, um, it was after speaking with him, was uh, connecting him with somebody in the, adver in the online advertising world who had another connection that would have been perfect on multiple, you know, retailers, multiple other accounts like that. And it, it was, it wound up being like relentless. Like, hey, did you make that connection yet? Hey, did you make that connection yet? Hey, did you make that connection yet? And, and after a while, I got an email from, you know, my referral That's funny. that said, look, it's it, it, time out. I've got to do my work life as well. And yeah. I'll make that introduction as soon as I can. But like now he's bothering. Now I went from like, you know, he's asked a few times to now, now I'm being and funny, bothered. funny you should say that, which is perfect. Yeah, because, because I think I had, you and I talked about it. Now that memory starts coming back. <laughs> I learned right away not to give this guy a contact email or one of my contacts because that created an exchange that my contacts will call up and say, Jim, if he sends me one more email, I'm going to go over there and punch you in the nose, okay? I'm done with this. <laughs> I, I, so, so, Justin, uh, do you have something similar? That well, I, I actually have a question based on something you said, Jim, which was uh, the solution you guys found was to take the patents and kind of start a new company. And for our three legal representatives in the room, <laughs> if I have a, a piece of IP that I'm securing, let's say I'm the inventor, um, there's options on where I can assign that that patent if it even needs to be assigned. Now, if I'm, let's say, creating a, a product-based company that I want to be operational, but I also want the opportunity to license it, do I want to put or assign that patent right into that operational company, or do I want to have a holding company that owns the patent first? So, the, you know, the holding company trick, um, it, when, when I'm advising my clients on the holding company, what I, what I tell them is that what you're going to do is you're going to set up um, you're going to do this for tax purposes, and that's why you're setting up a holding company. Um, so put all of your intellectual property in a holding company, have a licensing agreement between the parent and the holding company, and make sure that a payment is going from the parent to the holding company. And then you next thing you do is you pick up your phone and you call your CPA and you say, all right, I need to, you know, now I've got multiple companies that I need to start uh, properly uh, bookkeeping for and paying taxes properly on because your taxes get trickier, but there are tax savings because you're making a payment from a parent company to a holding company. Mm -hmm. So it's effectively a payment to yourself, but uh, you know, so, so the taxes get, get, get tricky and that's, that's off of anything that I know, but that's the reason that I would say you want to do the holding company. Well, Scott, uh, maybe Scott, specifically Scott, for you, 
for an operating company, I'm looking to build a business, potentially invest in a, in a product, I'm going to need outside capital. The benefit of keeping the IP separate in a holding company versus what I would offer equity from an operational company provides me some opportunities and how I can move forward in terms of an exit strategy. So two things. Mm-hmm. No one's going to invest in one entity where all the IP is in a different <laughs> entity. So if they, as long as your offering allows the same pro rata in both entities, it's not a problem. Um, one of the reasons, sort of jumping on what um, Anthony was just saying, one of the reasons you may want to put the IP in a separate entity is not, is besides taxes, is also to protect against liabilities and claims. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, it, it depends how much IP you're really going to have because, you know, every time you set up an entity, there's costs involved. There's costs of administration. There's actual out-of-pocket costs. There's costs of, you know, along with the administration, legal, accounting, all that sort of thing. And so there may not be always the bang for the buck. I mean, there's certainly companies out there such as Xerox who put everything in a separate entity, and that entity is actually the value of Xerox right now, not manufacturing copies and, you know, cameras anymore. And So, yeah. so if I was going to file IP, who should I talk to to help facilitate this process for me? Would it be an individual like yourself? It Anthony? would be a combination of Anthony and myself because Anthony will give you the appropriate advice on patents and trademarks and the IP world. I do a lot of that, but more on the licensing mm-hmm. side, but it's really forming the entity and thinking about how you're going to structure the business and whether you're going to have a holding company, some operating companies, mm-hmm. some affiliates. It's a combination, but there's no one size mm-hmm. fits all. It really depends on what the business is going to do moving forward and how you're going to be doing it. So I have another client that is opening retail locations old school brick and mortar, but every one of those retail locations has a different entity Mm -hmm. because you want to isolate liabilities, you want to isolate leases, you want to isolate usage of different brick and mortar spaces. So, you know, again, no one size fits Mm -hmm. all. Jim, please tell me that there is some good news that the Nessa group was able to do with this particular client. I, uh, other than give the advice that we gave and, and separating himself from the company and what uh, uh, Scott and Justin, all of us were discussing, uh, I, I think the problem was that the person didn't want to move on these suggestions or these recommendations. So, frankly, we, we parted ways kind of thing. Uh, at that point, there was no such thing as, we're going to help you. I'm not going to keep billing you if, if there's no... And then, of course, there was a whole idea of... Uh, could I could I have you guys do this work and I'll pay you later, and that didn't work out for me in my mind either. So, <laughs> I wanted to end on I wanted to end on a happy note. Not I know. <laughs> well, the, the, the happy note is, and there is a happy note. The happy note is that we're able to sit here, we're able to discuss it, we're able to have people who are going to be listening to this podcast who say, "Oh my God, I'm I'm I'm, I'm they were talking about me, which we're not." But at least maybe that would spark them to pick up the phone or go to an email and say, I heard the podcast, guys. I'm there. Similar problem. 
I'm willing to see what you guys can do for me. So hopefully that's the that's the icing on the cake. It's certainly not going to be that I can tell you we had some grandiose conclusion with this client because we didn't. No, and 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 look, obviously when you're in a consultancy, not everything is going to to go well. I mean, I'm sure Scott and I can tell stories until we're blue in the face about clients who didn't listen as well. So it, 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 that's not that's not certainly an yeah. unusual. But you got to th- you also got to think, Anthony. Uh, by the time people come to people like us, not necessarily Scott that much because of the front end, some of the stuff they might do, but when they come to consultants, it's because most of them already have tried all the little gimmicks and all the suggestions that were made by uh, Uncle Vinny, and before you know it, they find themselves in, in, in the downward spiral. So they're coming to us not because they're sitting on top of the mountain. They're coming to us because they find themselves tumbling down that mountain and they need someone to rescue them. So uh, our job is to fix. We're fixers. That's what we are. Or, or worse than Uncle Vinny going to YouTube. And I'm sure there's... <laughs> exactly. I'm sure there are plenty of YouTube videos on business administration. Oh, I bet there is. I bet there is. <laughs> All right, gentlemen. Thank you once again. Uh, this concludes our mini-series. It's been uh, fantastic. It's been informative. Thank you all for being here, and thanks, thank you everyone for listening. One last time, Jim, how does everybody find God, I'm gonna, It's going to be tough not being able to do this again. <laughs> uh, you can reach us at www.thenessagroup.com. Uh, thank you for listening, and I hope we'll find ways that we can help you. Thank you. Thanks, everyone. Thanks. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you.